Hillsong Creative Podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hey, it's Rich Langton. Welcome back to the podcast. As a kid, I learned piano. At least I took lessons in piano. I'm not sure how much I learned, but my mum and dad would always be harping on about the need for practice and how practice would make me better and how I had to sit down and do an hour a day of practice. And now I realise it's an essential part of learning anything. If we're going to be good at something, we actually have to practice. So in today's episode, hopefully it's a reminder we all need of the importance of practice. We have one of our favourite episodes from earlier on in the podcast. It's a panel we did at Team Night. We've got a singer, a dancer, a sound engineer and a video editor all talking about the need for practice in their arena. So I think you'll love this and I think it's something we need to revisit and be inspired by and encouraged by all the time. So we'll jump into it. I hope you enjoy it. Tonight, I thought that we would talk about something very useful, uh, very underrated, very underspoken of, but something that is essential to our development creatively. And so if you're writing notes, this is the first word you need to write down of many before our panelists share their wisdom. Tonight is a night about practice. Who feels that little stab of conviction already? Who's going, oh, when was the last time I actually practiced what I'd tell people that, I'm, that I do and that I care about. But what I love about these guys is for each of their creative pursuits, whether it's um, vocally or in any of the other arts that we'll talk about here with this crew, these are guys who have dedicated themselves throughout the years to practice, see the importance of it, see it as part of not just their creative development, but also their Christian development. Um, and I am grateful that you guys would spend some time with us. Um, and by virtue of just a little bit of background about yourselves, I would love to hear, starting with you, Strand, on the left, because your socks match the couch and your shirt. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, how you got started doing what you're doing, what the early years looked like for you as a, as a young gun. Um, how did you kind of get a passion for what you do and what did practice look like early on? Okay, so I've always like been doing media and stuff in church. I'm a video editor, so... Um, all those awful videos that you sometimes go on YouTube and find really cheesy church stuff, that was me. And still am to a certain extent, I would say. Um, but I just kept doing that for the church, and then I came here and did college, which was awesome, um, TV and media stream, and then and I just kept doing it. When did much. you cut your first video? Oh, gosh. How old were you? Maybe 14? What were you but it, it wasn't good. I, no, it would I probably I be like I made a cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What were you editing it on? Oh, some old PC probably before the Mac time. It was pretty bad. Do you remember what it was? No, okay. not at all. It's for the best. Yeah. Okay. I put that in the forget box. Um, Tabitha, you are a fantastic dancer and just an all-around legend. Um, I think you're going to get a lot of support from the dance community tonight, which is nice. They're, they're those kind of people. All right, it's about Tabitha, not you, so zip it. Um, how about you tell us about your own story when you first remember dancing, what it was like growing up, um, what practice looked like for you early on? Um, practice originally looked like dancing in between uh, the ads of TV shows <laughs> um, to my parents and my family, making up dances, putting concerts on. 
Um, when I got a little bit serious at 15, um, it looked like dancing from 8 till 10 or 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. at night, Monday to Friday, um, competing on the weekends. Um, looked like being in classes. What do you, wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? I can only breathe from 8 till 10. <laughs> Didn't you go to school? Didn't you have, like, any yeah, of these other things? Yeah, so I left school. Um, I got a scholarship at a place and... <laughs> um, but in saying that, I was in classes as a 15-year-old. I got put in some classes with a 7-year-old because my teacher believes um, more in my growth than my pride, you know? And I think Ooh. that's an important lesson. Like, I was put... Yeah, in classes where those people are a lot like younger than me because they wanted me to get their foundations right. And I think that's something that I've learned and as a teacher now I try and teach um, my students is that, you know, when you're growing and when you're trying to develop your talent, it's good to be in classes where you're the best. It builds your confidence. It builds um, who you are. You feel good about yourself. But actually sometimes it's good to be in a class where you're the worst because then you can grow and you can see where you are now and where you want to be. Um, yeah. Well, I think we're good for tonight. <laughs> um, I love that, Tab. Chelsea, how about you? Your early memories of singing and what practice looked like for you back in the day? Yeah. Um, grew up in a musical household, so both of my parents are musicians and singers. My dad went to Berkeley and um, studied composition, so I always kind of felt like I lived in his shadow just a touch. Um, studied with some of the really great pianists, and he plays every instrument. So every instrument I would bring home to kind of be like, you can't play this one. He'd just pick it up and play it. And he's like, oh, I haven't done the violin in ages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, forget that. And so I kept going through all the instruments until really singing was the one that I loved the most. And as an only child for a really long time, there wasn't, and an introvert, highly introverted, um, there wasn't really much else to do other than put Whitney Houston on replay for 15 hours a day. We've and all done it. We've all done it. Yes. And really, as a kid, I was probably a lot more disciplined in ways that I didn't understand than I really was as an adult and had to relearn discipline and sitting down and practicing. Really? Oh, yeah. You had to relearn as an adult? Yeah. What do you mean? Because as a kid, it was play and it was fun. And I didn't know it was practice. I just thought, I'm going to master that run. Like, when you're six, how, how well did you really master Whitney Houston's run? Like, you didn't. Um, but I definitely thought I did with my hairbrush. Like, I was like, yes, got that. But... I just would practice and, pra and didn't realize it was practice because it was play. And it wasn't until I actually went into uni and made a career of it when I realized that I was undisciplined and that if I was going to compete in opera against people who had been doing opera since they were six, I was going to have to get some discipline and actually do some time in a practice room. And, and that was a hard lesson to learn. Okay. We we're going to talk about this later, but let's talk about it now. You talk about practice as play. Yeah. And you talk about also having to discipline yourself to reach that level. Was that a difficult bridge for you to build to go, I need to be more disciplined, but I also need to see it as play like I did as a kid? Tell me about that. Yeah. I think it was miserable for my first year of uni because a lot of it had come very easily to me until then I was like, oh, I need a challenge. And now it wasn't easy anymore. And I think 
it can be very easy for us as creatives to lose our discipline because it's not easy anymore. And we think that if it's God or if it's what I'm supposed to do or a gift, it's easy, right? And actually discipline is hard. And I would say I got into my second year of uni and all of a sudden went, this is so much fun again. And it actually took a Cowboys cheerleader who was my accompanist Legit, she was a, the Cowboys cheerleader, but was one of the most fantastic classical pianists ever to basically whoop my butt into shape and say that what I was giving out wasn't good enough and that I was better than that. And I was like, go team. <laughs> yes. Mush, um, can you tell us just quickly a bit about your journey creatively, your background, how your earliest kind of leanings towards what you're doing? Um, mine is one of time and wasn't talent, it wasn't gifting, it wasn't a leg up, it wasn't this, it was just time. And always has been for any endeavor I've ever put my hand to. And I think in all honesty, probably always will be because I think, I don't know, maybe there's too much weighted towards talent and gifting and head starts and everything else. I don't know. But the more, I guess, kind of life happens, the more I've found out that time plus effort will take you a lot further than, I guess, talent and whatever else you may have or you may feel like is the big ticket you need to get to where you need to go. I don't know. So that's been my thing. I don't necessarily have any outstanding talents of any kind, but I, I guess I have whatever it is I put my hand to. I put my hand to today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and the next day. And I love just that, I see love what's that equation because it makes yeah. it so simple and it removes yeah. every excuse that you yeah. can put around it. Exactly. Um, so. Strain, come back to you. You talk about your first video was probably cut on some old PC with whatever software you could download for free. Um, like a lot of people, <laughs> particularly in your profession, can look at the tools they have, and and those tools can they can let those tools limit them. They can say, ah, oh, if I had faster computer, this, that, the other. Like, how much do you think that your own development as a film editor, as a visual creator, is reliant on? the stuff you're using and how much of it is just you and the discipline that Chelsea talks about, the time plus effort that Mush talks about and the dedication that we've already heard a little bit about? I think they're tools to help you go further, but you should always try and push further until they become a limitation. Like if they, if they aren't a limitation, then you're not pushing hard enough, if that makes sense. So if you've got a certain piece of software that can do this and this, you can always push it further than what you think, if that makes sense. And if you're not, then you're probably not doing it. Sounds harsh. <laughs> no, that's good. Tell me, tell me something that's, where that's been your experience. Um, for example, here at church, we've got these like iMag or whatever director desks to cut cameras and stuff. And most people would just sit down and you go, oh, you cut to camera one, cut to camera two. But then there are these little hidden fun things that you can only find out if you actually explore and try to push it. So if you just keep going, so like, for example, I'd sit down and I'd be like, what if we had Faye this and then we add a... PowerPoint slide on top with a triangle or a whatever. Not triangle. Not triangle. Like no. a, Don't like a email circle. your mom and dad back home. We do not know. <laughs> so then you keep pushing it, and so the people who are responsible for the desk are like, oh, don't break it, you know? But you kind of have to not break it, but push it beyond the limits, beyond maybe what anyone else has seen for it to excel, if that makes sense, and create a need for maybe the next step. Because yep. you can't keep asking for new equipment to keep growing. You've got to outgrow the equipment that you're on, if that makes sense. Sheesh. Um, okay, we just need like some plastic microphones just to drop like all the time after all these, I feel like. 
This episode is brought to you by our Hillsong Worshiping Creative Conference. It's for every kind of creative, whether you're a musician, singer, a graphic designer, architect, an audio engineer, or video editor. It's a place for the artists of the church to gather together, to worship, to be inspired and refreshed, and to be equipped and trained for your sphere of creativity. Come be a part of everything happening on site, like the exclusive collabs with practical training from our key Hillsong team. The conference has limited spaces, so if you can't make it to Sydney this year, why not join the online conference experience so you don't miss a moment of the main sessions? Find out more at hillsong.com forward slash WCC. Now, let's get back to the episode. Um, Tab, let's come back to you a little bit on this. Um, it's great that you were dancing from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m., but now you have a job, a life, a husband, like all these things. You don't get to do that anymore. You, don't, you aren't able to give it 14 hours a day to practice and improve. Um, so since that time to now, what has practice looked like for you? What does it look like now when your time is that much more measured? You know, before I say what I'm going to say, I got a revelation um, a few years ago that in order to be prepared, um, preparation equals sacrifice. And so right now, if I was to look at my life and think, okay, I want to be better at dance, um, there's actually no time. Like, there's all, all time is filled up, um, either with hanging out with Sebastian or doing work or whatever, but it's That's actually... That's not me. <laughs> Her husband's Sebastian as well. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Um, but now it actually means giving up certain things to upskill. And so for me, it's um, going on a Saturday to um, another place to dance or... Practical example, um, during Colour Conference, we had Luke um, from London come and help us clean our routines. And for me, that wasn't just a rehearsal. That was me learning. And I take every experience here at Hillsong, if it's um, a rehearsal or me teaching, that's a place where I can upskill. Because even as a teacher, I'm learning from my students. And I'm never, I'm never arrived. You know, excellence isn't a destination. Excellence is going from part A, realising where you are, um, to realising where you want to be, and it's the process in between. You never reach excellence. Yeah, never. You never reach it. And so um, it's a continue continue, um, process. I love that. You talked... Start there. I love what you said about how you have to you have to prioritize. You've got to give up other things to choose the thing you want to develop. Um, Chelsea, if you want to talk about this quickly, from that point where you were studying, you sang a lot in a lot of places, um, and like was your life. And I'm sure you also found yourself in a position where you had to give up other things you would like to do in order to get good at what you feel like you were created to do. So tell us a little bit about that process for you of going cool. If this is going to be what I'm put on the earth to do, what was that level of dedication like for you to get there? Yeah, it was very similar. It was being in a practice room for six hours a day. And when you're in uni, you have to also do other instruments. So it wasn't just practicing arias. It was, I took a classical piano lesson a week and I also took a jazz piano lesson a week. And so I was in two hours with vocals, two hours with piano, then you have to practice. And it means that a lot of times when other people were going to parties and they were out late or when people were partying in my house until all hours of the <laughs> night and I was sleeping with earplugs and being the one be like, I was 
not the fun one sometimes, being like, I have an exam at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, it just, it but means you have, your to, choice. you have to prioritize things. And, and it means that you have to limit how much Netflix you watch. Don't say that. Wow. Look, I am an addict, okay? I am Do we need an altar call? Do we need a Netflix altar call? Is this happening? But really, unless you're managing to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine and also sing arias at the same time, then not winning. And I also, during uni, was singing in a 21-piece big band that traveled around um, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and New York and played Lincoln Center in front of, you know, the the Metropolitan Opera. And it took discipline because then that was before YouTube when you could Google or like Spotify when you could just listen to how Frank Sinatra sang it or just readily get the CD of how Etta James sang that song or Ella Fitzgerald sang it. I had to actually take complicated charts that were sometimes 100 pages long that had every instrument on it and find my line and read it and play it and you think jazz is easy? <laughs> I would have. I liked my Tchaikovsky a lot better than some of those jazz charts, and it means you have to sit down and do it. So now that season has passed. I asked a similar question of Tab. I'm interested to hear from you on it because now you have different life. You've got husband, all these things. You can't put that much time into it. But how do you continue to improve now? What does that look like for you? You maximize your time. So driving in to work, I'm doing my scales. I tell my students all the time when you're walking, be the idiot walking down the street singing your scales. Or if you're a guitarist, that you're mentally visualizing the frets and that you're, even if you're walking down and you're listening to a guitarist that you're trying to emulate, you're actually going, okay, that's what this finger position is. And that your visualization is actually a really amazing tool for creatives to create. Because even if you don't have your instrument in front of you, you don't have your computer in front of you, you don't have your boards in front of you, you've seen it before, right? You know what your instrument looks like, you know what the material is that you're, look, you're looking for, and it's actually a technique to visualize yourself doing it so that when you sit down to do it, you've already been there. Okay, so visualization as a form of practice. Let's come back to you, Strand, and then I've got something else coming your way, Mush. Um, for what you do as a visual creator, as a guy who's across a bunch of mediums, what does that look like for you when you aren't, I mean, you can practice like moving your right hand and moving the mouse as fast as you want. You can do warm-ups <laughs> on your way to church. Like, those things don't help you, but your, your challenge is to stretch your imagination and your capacity to see what other people don't see yet. Um, how do you do that? I think oftentimes we're scared of, we want to be original, we don't want to copy anyone, but I think a key to being original is actually looking at the world around you and getting inspired and allowing yourself to be inspired. And not just when you find a good artist or find a good piece of you know, work or art, not copying that, but actually taking that on board and then looking at multiple things. So you always got to stay inspired and stay connected to things that look good, I guess, to you and what you want to achieve. I like that. Three things that are inspiring you right now? Uh, one of my friend's Instagrams yep. is just going off. Yeah. Um, it's mine. We, don't, we, don't, we all know it. <laughs> Second thing? Nature. Be more specific. That doesn't count. Like the way the wind hits the trees and the clouds move in on a morning. It's beautiful. I like that. <laughs> Last thing. Um, movies. 
Netflix. <laughs> Netflix is practice. For me, it is. You're in the wrong game. Until it isn't. <laughs> um, by way of wrapping up, I'd love to hear from you guys about something that we've talked about here in the team a little bit, and me and Mush have talked a little bit about it. Mush, talk to me about the temptation when you're, not even the temptation, but the inability to notice when you're coasting, when you're attached to an environment where there is momentum, and whether you practice or not, people aren't going to notice. Talk to me about the danger of finding yourself in that spot where practice isn't as essential as it once was because, look at this place. Oh, well, I think... The first, well, two things. First thing I think with like an environment like this that it is part of what makes us who we are is the fact that we are very encouraging and you look, you know, like and will, I guess, applaud your effort and, you know, let you know that you did a good job or whatever the case may be. But if that is the measure of progress or measure of excellence, I feel like that is skewed and that is going to take, that's going to, that takes you sideways and takes you away from what you want to do. So going back to practice, if you, if a high five from your leader means that you're doing is your measure of progress, I feel like you're mistaken because I feel like the measure of progress should, be, should, be, should go against how many uncomfortable or how many enlarging environments do you find yourself? And is, that, is the count of those moments shrinking or growing? Are you constantly exposing yourself to situations that actually are challenging? If those situations have kind of died down and everything you get amongst is actually fairly achievable, then maybe it's worth questioning how much you actually are progressing. So not to diminish the encouragement or the applaud, the applaud, applause or the high five you may get from anyone. I'm just saying its place is not necessarily into, its place is not to be, I guess, your, your plumb line. The amount of stretch you feel within your craft is your plumb line. And the amount of environments you allow yourself to find yourself in is what determines whether or not you are or are not growing. You know what I mean? I don't know if that, that answers it, but that's... Yeah. More than answers yeah. it. That's cool. great. Thank you very much. Um, was that the first thing? Oh, you know, sorry. The yeah, second I was, thing? Because yeah, you can keep going. This is really no, really good. No. <laughs> I was going to say, I think as well, the, the danger of coasting or... I think what, what progresses people, I feel like, is what happens in private. Like Sunday morning is not progressing you. It's great. It's revealing you, right? So... So if your idea of progress is I was able to play Sunday morning or whatever the case may be, or you were able to get a vision switch on Sunday morning, again, your measuring stick is off kilter. Right. So what happens and if what's happening in private is diminishing, again, that's what you should be paying attention to and that's what you should be concerned with. Yeah. And if that, like I said, I understand seasons and times and everything else, but again, I don't know how, I don't think you should be as quick to put things in the, it's the wrong season basket because I think that can be an excuse as well. I think if you're passionate about your craft, make time for it. If you're passionate about what you want to do, if you do say, like, if you love, what, if you love and you believe that this is where you, your gift is meant to be and contribute to, put time into it. Don't, don't allow yourself the easy excuses. And sometimes those are the excuses that we want to put wrap around some Christian language and give ourselves a validation that we don't necessarily need to practice. So, hey, this season doesn't really allow for that. Hey, I feel like maybe right now I just need to focus. Like, okay, maybe that's genuine, but I don't believe that, I don't believe that God gave you a gift to put on the shelf, to put on the shelf, especially in the practice part. I understand the expression of it, maybe put on the shelf for a while while God is honing you. But the actual effort you put into growing yourself should never go on the shelf. So.
We're, um, we're finishing up. It's probably the last thing for you guys here is you talk about stewarding your gift um, and not putting it on the shelf. Sure, the public expression and the, and the private devotion are two different things. Um, when it comes to that aspect, Chelsea, what would your encouragement be from your perspective about what it takes to kind of steward the gift that God's given us? I think it goes along with the coasting thing too because whenever I have been tempted to go there, God has revealed to me that I was making it about me. And when we're, when we're tempted to go there, and it's the, the balancing of that, that spiritual and practical, we owe him our absolute best. And if people can tour the world and say, we, I do it for the fans, great, love that. God still gave them that gift. But we, because we know this amazing creator who imagined the stars and then crafted it and then with the same breath said, sing, play, mix, create. How dare I coast? How, I can't afford to do that. How dare I make that about me? And that is where the balance of the spiritual and the practical comes in because I owe him the practical so that I can be faithful to the spiritual. Just going off the back of what Chelsea said, um, I think it's just remembering that we're doing this for people to see our gifts but then see God. Like, that's the ultimate, you know? When we, when we dance, when we sing, when we do whatever, it's all about pointing people to Jesus. And so the, the reason I want to get better at dancing is so that the dance is so clear to people. It's, it's not weird. It's not, oh, what's that? It's so clear that it opens up a door for them to start conversation, to, um, for me to then speak about God, all of that. And so remember that our gifting sometimes can be the door that brings people um, into the road of salvation. Yeah. Love this. Strandy? I think even if what we make doesn't explicitly say, you know, the gospel or whatever, we've got to be in the right place in our soul and in our personal lives so that whatever's outward comes from a place that we are aware of our position in him, if that makes sense, and our, the calling on our lives. I love that. One thing that I think shines through hearing these guys' stories that's really clear to me is that we hear stories about time spent practicing. We talk about Tab dancing 27 hours a day and sleeping for minus three hours or whatever else. But I've noticed that knowing each of these guys, that now it's not about how long you spend practicing, but what you spend practicing with the time that you do have. 10 minutes of perfect practice is better than three hours of wasted practice. It's something that every single one of us can develop and improve in. If you think you don't have enough time to practice, come and talk to any of these four who live big lives, have big jobs, families, the whole deal, and you will find that, um, like Mush said, it's easy to make excuses, but when you actually look at what you've been entrusted with, um, with your own life, your own calling, with this church, this team, it's impossible to look those excuses in the eye and say they're valid. You guys have challenged me tonight, so I'm very grateful for each of you. Thank you. Thank you for coming to lead us and inspire us and encourage us. Have you guys loved this? And can you please thank our panel, Mush, Chelsea, Tab, Strand. You guys are the best.
Wow, practice, practice, practice. I think we should all take the challenge to get better by practicing and to really honour God by putting in the effort that it takes to be all we can be by practicing. What a challenge. That's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and it's been useful for your journey. If you haven't already, I'd love to take a minute just to encourage you to subscribe. When you do that, you become part of our growing community of creatives who are trying their best to live out their faith through their creativity. So join us anywhere you find your podcasts, subscribe, and then you won't miss out on anything. And I always love to hear from you. So please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It helps with the visibility of the podcast and it lets us know what you think, what you're enjoying, and where we can go with the podcast in the future. Aside from that, you can write to me on Twitter, at Rich Langton, and we'll talk to you next time.